Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Sarah Clark Podcast. Super excited about today's guest. I have Lexis Gordon on the podcast. Lexis, how are you? I'm so good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm super excited for our conversation today. Um, but to give the listeners a little reason why I have Lexis on the podcast um, before I have Lexis introduce herself is, well, Lexis was another person that I met at the coaching summit, which was super exciting. And honestly, Lexis has been super kind as I've started my coaching business. There's been a few times that I have reached out to her and she's been super generous to give me any advice, to be super helpful. Um, she's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to macros and her experience, very vulnerable, authentic. And I just think that you can provide a lot of value to our listeners. So I'm super excited to talk to you today. That is so sweet. I loved meeting you and I'm so excited to chat. Hey, well, Lexis, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, kind of give us an introduction on who is Lexis Gordon. Uh, Tell everybody a little bit about your story and kind of where you're at now. Okay. Where do I begin? Um, I'm Lexis. I am originally from Maine, a really small town in Maine. Um, I'm 29, almost 30, and I now live in Santa Clarita, California with my husband, who's an attorney. And we have two amazing babies, um, Luke Elaine, who is three, and my son, Quinn, who is 15 months. Um, I don't even know really where to begin in terms of kind of my story. Do you want me to dive into kind of a little bit about my past and my eating history and then kind of like how I became a macro coach? Yeah, let's, let's, I love that. Okay. So, um, I grew up in a pretty wild, I had a wild childhood. Um, I could go on and on about this forever, but I basically grew up with, a mom who was a drug addict, a dad who was an alcoholic. Um, They got divorced when I was in kindergarten. And I was so lucky to be raised by my grandparents um, for a large chunk of my childhood. I do have some great memories with my mom and my dad, um, but it was very hectic and not a normal childhood. Um, And there was a lot of just craziness that went on. The really amazing part about me being raised by my grandparents is that they owned uh, businesses, seasonal businesses in Maine. And so I grew up like from the get-go, like in a playpen at six months old in the back of my grandparents. They had two gift shops and a restaurant for 30 years. And so my work ethic comes from genuinely being brought up in Mm -hmm. a small business. And, you know, I, I worked, you know, literally at like four years old, five years old, unpackaging boxes, like doing inventory, going to the buying shows with my grandparents. This is just the way that my life was. I was a waitress at like 11 years old because that's just like kind of what you do when you're in the family business and the rules don't really count. And because of that, I just learned so early on the importance of working hard and earning my own money and knowing what that means. Um, I mean, I think I saved enough money to buy a pink Dell laptop at like the age of nine. Um, And so I was just really driven and very independent and kind of had to grow up really fast due to a lot of things that were out of my control. And so the main point of why I'm sharing that is my childhood, I felt totally out of control of my circumstances due to what was going on around me and the chaos and police and drugs and all of this really hectic stuff. Shit. Can I swear on here? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Um, And so loved food, never really exercised, wasn't a sports kid growing up. I did competitive cheerleading. I was kind of always skinny fat, if you will, like not overweight by any means, but not in shape. I didn't really understand 
nutrition. I just liked good food. I again, I grew up in the restaurant, so I'm eating yeah. like Philly cheesesteaks and chicken Caesar salad wraps at like five years old. So like I loved good food, but I didn't understand how to eat, you know, for my body and protein focus and anything like that. Um, and then I realized that I really craved to feel in control because I had missed that in my childhood. And so I started to understand that I could be in control when it comes to my food and my body and eating and the way I looked and working out and all that. And I started getting a taste for it in high school being like, Oh my God, if I, you know, exercise three hours a day and I, you know, don't eat and I starve myself, I'll lose weight and I'm in control. And then in turn, people will respect me more, like me more, and I'll be better essentially. Um, and so I, I had doubt we were big partiers in Maine. There's not much to do. So I was wild in high school doing really naughty things, tons of underage drinking, just the whole, the whole nine yards. Um, and I got diagnosed or I got out, I got Adderall. Basically I told the doctor I had ADHD back then. They didn't really do much testing for it. And they just prescribed me Adderall and right at like, no, no questions asked. And so I started taking that and it just curbed my app because I didn't have ADHD. It curbed my appetite like no other. I mean, I would just survive on like an iced coffee until like 5 p.m. and then eat some like carrot sticks and that was it. Like, wow, nothing. And so I started losing weight and then I started exercising and it, it was just this really crazy spiral. I was in complete denial. My friends and family were concerned about me. I was taking laxatives. It was just this very yucky thing that I was doing. And I like would pretend and I was like, I have ADHD, like stop calling me out. And I was just in denial. That went on all through college um, until I discovered macros to kind of cut the story short. And then I started learning about like what my body needed. Um, I tried every diet. I tried every, you know, whole 30 and vegan and all of these things and the celery diet and all those crazy the cleanses. And yeah, it's just so exhausting. And I was just spinning on that hamster wheel, never, ever ending. Um, and then I discovered macros. My girlfriend had done it and I was like, what are you doing? Like measuring out your food? That's whack. Like I'm not doing that. Yeah. And <sighs> I, I think I like just tried it for a month or so. And I started feeling like so balanced. My energy levels were through the roof. I noticed immediate, like no more bloating and all of that. And I was like, oh my goodness, like she is onto something. And then I just kind of, that was in 20. 16, I think the end of 2016 to 2017. So I've been counting macros since then. Um, more on than off, if I'm honest, because I just love it so much. And it's just helped me heal my relationship with food so much. Um, and that's how I became a macro coach just because I'm so passionate about it. So love that. That's amazing. I think that I'm curious to ask you because you said that macro counting healed your relationship with food. And I think some people resonate with that, but you also hear a lot of coaches on Instagram and I'm sure you've probably seen like the dietitians and the mm-hmm. intuitive eating coaches will often say like, if you want to heal your relationship with food, like you can't count macros. Like that's the last thing you should do. But in my head, I think that's a black or white kind of thinking, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts around that. Oh, I have so many. Um, I think, unfortunately, my not so exciting answer is that it just depends on the person. Totally. And I think for some people like myself, when it's a control issue, uh, which is really what all of my food issues stem from in the beginning, whether it was restriction or, you know, later on binging, which we'll get into, um, 
for me, it all stemmed from control. And so because macros kind of allows for me to build my daily menu, if you will, I still feel that control that I'm searching for, but in a healthy way, because there's no restrictions. There's no, well, you can't eat sugar, but you can't, or you can't eat carbs or it's like, I can eat kind of whatever, not whatever I want. Of course, I I like to eat like a whole foods diet and all of that, but I do allow for, I mean, I eat bread every day. I eat, you know, ice cream most nights, like things like that. And I'm still able to be healthy, feel healthy, feel energized enough to take care of my two crazy kids and, you know, run this business, et cetera. And so for me, I think it depends on the person, the history of the person and their diet. Um, and kind of their why behind why they want to track macros. And I think the goal should always be to be able to intuitively eat at some point. Like I don't totally. think if you're a macro tracker, I think you should do it if you enjoy it. And I think if not, you should do it for a short period of time, simply for educational purposes and then move on. I literally love it. I love like the Tetris moving the puzzle pieces to make yeah. everything. It's fun for me. It's enjoyable. It doesn't take a lot t- of time in my day anymore. And so because of that, it's just part of my routine. Now, if you were a client who you did a 16 week program, you learned a lot and now you're like, I'm over this, then you're over it. And you'll be able to take the tools that you learned in that 16 week process and go on and eat intuitively and hopefully still be able to feel good and look good and be how you want to be. Totally. I I totally agree with you. And I want to make a point to what you just said is I think that with intuitive eating culture, you know, what's interesting is there's, I feel like there's two worlds. I'm not sure if you see it where there's so many people that are like intuitive eating and there's so many people that are like macro tracking or die. And it's like, no, there, you can find the middle ground between both of them. Now for anyone who's going into intuitive eating that has nothing, no knowledge about nutrition, like how are they going to be intuitive to eat more protein without like, and anyways, this is totally my opinion is like, those who track their macros tend to end up being possibly better intuitive eaters. Maybe that was kind of without question because they are more aware of what they're supposed to eat. Where someone who has no knowledge on nutrition, no knowledge on what they're supposed to eat, no knowledge on how much protein is 130 grams of protein that goes straight into intuitive eating. Like that doesn't make sense to me. I could not agree with you more. And I don't know why people have so much trouble meshing the two together because I think that they can coexist. And I know myself, like, you know, if I'm in a cut, okay, sure. I'm in a cut. I'm focused. Like I'm tracking every day, logging every day right now. I'm not, I'm in maintenance and like, I'm not going to lie. Like this isn't what people want to hear, but there are days when I don't even open my fitness pal, but I ate almost the same thing I ate yesterday. I still am weighing out everything, but I'm just not like, maybe I don't log it in my fitness pal that day. Or like, maybe I don't weigh like my dinner because I can eyeball chicken and know what six ounces is, et cetera. And so, um, I do it because I enjoy it, but I think that they absolutely can coexist. And the goal should be to be intuitive enough and to have the knowledge. But I'm telling you, every single human adult, it shouldn't be children, but every single adult, male and female, at some point in their life should be required to to track macros for a month, simply for the pure fact of you have no clue about portion sizes, serving sizes, any of that and, or, or the needs of your own body. And I think people have this goal in mind about the way they want to look and the body they want to have. And they have, they're just 
totally misaligned with what's required nutritionally. And I wish that everyone would commit for just a month. And I guarantee like 60% would never track again. And that's fine. But the knowledge that they would gain during that one month is priceless. And people don't understand that. They think it's obsessive. I'm like, no, no, no. Trust me. It's not. Yeah. It's all your perspective around it. I think that people can view it as obsessive or you can, you can, you, you can, view it as a way that can teach you and and help you. And even if someone doesn't have an aesthetic goal, I think some people just don't even know how to eat to make them feel good. Without question. I agree. But I totally agree with you. I think anyone could benefit from taking a month of tracking just to build awareness around food to build. I mean, I think everybody who has tracked their macros has that sad moment of realizing like what a tablespoon of peanut butter is or what an actual serving of cereal is. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing because you're building that awareness to then help you serve you with your goals. Absolutely. And I always use the analogy of like, you know, trying to have a fat, say you have a fat loss goal and like trying to know how to eat and nutritionally be in line with that goal without having any knowledge of what you're eating. And so AKA intuitive eating, in my opinion, is essentially like taking an algebra test without studying any of the materials. It's like, well, or like driving across the country. I use this one too, driving across the country with no map or GPS. Like how the fuck are you going to know where to go? Yeah. Like you need some sort of direction and knowledge and guideline and and it doesn't need to be this per- everyone is so, you know, hung up on the perfect macro count and the perfect and how when do my steps need to be done and when are my meal times? Ignore all of that. That's all noise. You just need to have a general idea of what is your deficit range, what is your maintenance range, what is your goal and how long is it going to take to get there? It's going to take a long time. Um and that's it. Like just kind of having those basic things in place can totally set someone up for success. So those are my thoughts. Yeah, I totally, 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 totally agree with you. Um, You did mention something earlier about, and I know we talked about this before the podcast, of diving a little bit into your experience with binging. Um, And I want to, I'm just going to turn it over to you just to kind of hear your backstory with that. Um, And I know I asked you this beforehand, like, is that something that came up before you started tracking, during you start during tracking, kind of just give us the rundown of what your experience has been there. Okay. So, um, first I just want to start by saying like, I'm not a doctor and I also am not, I was never like diagnosed, you know, in an inpatient facility with binging or anything like that. And so I think if you do have a serious binge eating disorder or any eating disorder for that matter, I really always like to recommend people see a therapist because that's not me. I'm just sharing my experience and kind of walking through what that's looked like. So to kind of rewind back to that crazy partying time of my life in high school, I was, you know, in my grandparents' restaurant working. I have always had an insatiable appetite. Always. My entire life, I've always I can out eat a- adult men. Um, I I go back for seconds and thirds and I feel like I'm never full. I've always been that way. And people have made comments my entire life. How on earth are you eating all that? Like you can, oh my God, like, you know, just constantly complimenting Mm. or commenting, not complimenting me on my large appetite. And so I definitely think when there was a lot of drinking in high school and college, I would definitely have 
binge eating episodes where I would like eat an entire bag of chips by myself when I'm drunk and like things like that. Um, going into the pantry and just kind of like eating a jar of peanut butter with a spoon and just like mindfully, mindlessly doing it. Um, and then, you know, it was on and off, I'd say kind of all throughout growing up. And then I went through that phase where I did my, you know, the Adderall and the laxatives and I was restricting. And I feel like I never really binged during that because my entire focus was on being like as thin and small as I could possibly be. So that was never really in that space. And then I found macros and I had felt this new sense of food freedom. And I was so proud that I had stepped away from the Adderall and the laxatives and all those things. And so in my mind, I almost would say I need to allow myself to eat kind of whatever I want so that I don't revert back to starving myself, right? And so it was almost kind of like I needed to give myself permission. And because I have such a big appetite and because I knew, you know, I'm doing macros and I'm doing all the things right, quote unquote, I would almost like reward myself and just say, well, I, if I really want to go and like, you know, eat the jar of American dream nut butter with animal crackers and just sit there mindlessly, like, I I have to let myself do it. Otherwise, like I I was almost just too scared that I would kind of start restricting again. Yeah. And I'm definitely, it's so funny. I I feel like I'm a rule breaker too. Like I like to break the rules. I'm not good at, you know, people telling me what to do. I'm not, which is funny because I've been so successful with macros, but I definitely feel like there are some days where I'll hit all my numbers perfectly. I'm like, woohoo, success. Like I hit my numbers. And then I'm like, screw this. Like I want to just go and do whatever, almost just to like Say, rebel. rebel. Like yeah. if I like get a high off of like doing what I'm not supposed to do. And again, I'm not sure what like that comes from, but <laughs> I, I just feel like, again, I think, I think it stems from control, uh, you know, a lot of it and, yeah. and feeling like, you know, I want to be in control. And so I'm going to follow the rules and then I'm going to be in control again and break the rules. I don't know. It's kind of this weird thing. Um, and so I would say, you know, over the past couple of years, it, 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 I'd go through phases where it would be really bad. Like, you know, four to five nights a week, I would just like, I'd portion out my dessert, I'd have my dessert. And then I would intentionally, knowingly go to the pantry, grab whatever pretzels, peanut butter, that's a good example, or like something that just, you know, I could not stop. And I would even say to my husband, like, oh my God, like I feel sick or like I shouldn't be doing this or something. And I would just do it anyways and do it anyways. And yeah, it was a really vicious cycle. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of like a, a really brief outline of kind of my experience with just overeating in general and like not really knowing. And, and, and it's like, I was very, it, I want to say this too. I've had a lot of conversations about binging with, with people, especially on Instagram. And I think there are different levels to it. And I know that there are some people who literally go into this, like, they don't even know what they're doing. Yeah. And they're in they and then they like snap out of it. and They're like, Oh, that's not me. I know exactly what I'm doing. And I'm almost like, ha, ha, ha. like, I'm gonna go do that. Like, again, yeah. it's like a rebellion thing. So it's definitely not like I, I can't control my thoughts. I know exactly what I'm doing. Um, and, and I do it anyway. And I do mm-hmm. it anyway. And I've gotten a lot better. This is the best year I've probably had in 10 years. It's been, it's very rare that I do that, but I still do overeat from time to time. And I probably will for the rest of my life. But I do feel like I have a really good handle on it at this point. 
with techniques and tips kind of that I've gathered and that I've learned a lot from other people on Instagram um, and just kind of understanding like, okay, Alexis, like, you know, you don't need to do this kind of talking myself off the ledge in those moments and moving on. So, yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned something important too, is, is like, you'll probably overeat the rest of your life. Like you have moments here and there. And I think it's important for anyone to understand that overeating is a human tendency. I overeat sometimes too. Now I think overeating and binging are, are, are very different. I'm sure you would agree. Yeah. Um, but I think that for anyone who feels guilty from overeating, I think that, um, just knowing that, that that's somewhat normal, obviously, depending on how often it happens. Um, you mentioned that you, you at, from Instagram and from people that you've talked to, you've developed some techniques or some things that have helped you overcome that. And I, I think that, you know, I think that people who are listening to this um, have all struggled with binging for here and there, maybe, or I mean, maybe not just overeating in general, but um, I'm curious to hear some of these techniques or tips or things that you might have for someone who is in a similar boat that you have been in and wants to find more peace with their relationship with food and stop these binges. And I, and I know that I do want to put this out there too. And I know you put this before is I know you're not a binge eating like coach or expert, but I do think that there can be value from just learning more about your experience. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think first and foremost, the most important thing that I really encourage, and every macro coach is different in this regard. I am very much a, um, I like to expose things. I like to practice things that are really hard. Um, And so for example, I used to, and I actually just posted about this. Um, I, I used to pretend that I hated pizza when my husband would order it. I'd be like, Oh, I hate pizza. So that I had an excuse not to eat it because I knew that I would binge it. If I like allowed myself to have one piece that I need to have like yeah. seven pieces. Totally so resonate. my number one tip that I would have, or that I would give people is, is to drop the food labels, like good food versus bad food and allow for those off limit foods, quote unquote, to be part of your life on a regular basis in moderation. So exposure therapy is what I recommend. Meaning if you have a tendency to binge on peanut butter, um, you know, and you would go in the pantry and you'd eat an entire jar at once, which I've been there multiple times, um, then maybe add in, you know, one serving of peanut butter to your day four, four days of the week. Um, and allow for yourself to recognize, I think it's like a scarcity mindset too. For some reason, a lot of people feel like, well, if I have it, I have to eat it all. And it's like, well, no, you don't because you have this peanut butter. You can have it every day for the rest of your life until you die. If you choose to, you don't need to have a full jar of it. Why? You're only going to feel sick from that. You're only going to feel regret and shame. So why not say, you know what? I'm going to be really strict. I'm only going to allow for, you know, two servings or one serving or whatever you're able to do, whatever's reasonable. But like start introducing this into your life on a regular basis and say like, hey, peanut butter isn't bad. Yes, it's high in fat, but it's it's not bad. Like I yeah. can have this in moderation all the time. And and it, and I think the more that I allowed for the foods that I was so scared of, the less I wanted them and totally. or the 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 more satisfied I was with a normal serving, you know, like, oh, I really want to have peanut butter, you know, every day. And so before I would want like 
multiple spoons and I could, and now it's just like, all right, I portion out the one serving and that's enough. And, um, so that's one tip for people. I think everyone is, cause I, I read on, you know, people's submissions all the time for one-time macro counts. It's like, well, chips, sweets, and chocolate are my favorite thing. And so I, I, I can't keep them in my house because I'll, I'll, you know, finish the entire thing. And it's like, that's fine, but you're just brushing this issue under the rug, in my opinion, where now you have this fear around chips, chocolate, and sweets. And so when you are in a situation or an environment where they're around, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, oh my, you're going to be salivating and you're going to run to the table and you're going to eat them like a, you know, ravenous beast because you're just like wanting them so badly. And it's like, well, wait a minute, what happened to balance? And like, again, kind of dropping these food labels and just saying like, food is food. There is a a place and a space for all of it. It just needs to be balanced in like with your nutrition in mind, you know, with your health in mind, meaning lots of whole foods, vegetables, leafy greens, lean proteins, and then all the fun stuff sprinkled in. So I think my number one tip is exposure therapy, allowing for those foods on a normal, regular basis. Um, I think the other thing too is if it's a lot of times binge eating and overeating is tied to emotions. And so maybe you just got in a fight with your husband or you got laid off from your job or you had a death in the family and you're really overly emotional. I think first and foremost, when you go to reach for food, stop and say like, is this going to make me feel better or make me feel worse than I already do right now? And like have that conversation with yourself and sit in that because 90% of the time, you're not even hungry. Um, instead, maybe drink some water, go for a walk, call a friend. I think emotional eating, you think that you're going to fill this void with food, but in reality, it makes you feel even more empty um, yeah. and more alone. And so I think just strengthening your internal dialogue and you go to reach for that bag of chips. And sometimes when you ask the question, is this going to make me feel better in this moment? If you genuinely say the answer is yes, that's okay too. You can have the chips, grab a bowl, put some in and then put the bag back and put it away and go and sit and enjoy your chips. Like sometimes the answer is food if it's an emotional situation and that's okay. Yeah. But grabbing the bag of chips, eating it all and then going back for another or whatever and having that uncontrollable nonstop um yeah, out of control situation, that's a different story. And that's when the binge kind of takes over and your emotions take over. So I think just like, again, stopping and asking yourself those questions, like, what is this going to do for me in my current state? And is this going to benefit me? Or is this going to put me five steps back feeling worse off than I did when I started? A lot of times you're going to answer it and you're going to go, I don't really want the food. It's not going to make me feel better. Or maybe you switch the food that you had thought you wanted to something that is more nourishing and life-giving, like a bowl of watermelon or something different, you know? So I think just, I think the biggest thing is that a lot of people aren't in tune. They're not connected to themselves. They don't recognize their hunger. They don't trust themselves enough, I think. Um, And they're very confused by the noise that is our current state and social media with everything that they're getting thrown at them. They have no clue about how to eat, what to eat. I mean, I get the question 15 times a day. I don't know what to eat in order to be healthy. I don't know what to eat in order to hit my macros. And it's like, you eat whatever you love. Like, you eat whatever makes you feel good and makes you feel 
energized and satiated and whatever you're craving, you know? And so I think people are just very disconnected from their body right now. It, it just as a, as a whole. Yeah. That's how I feel. Oh, I totally agree with you. I think, I think people are afraid to, to listen inward um, or to understand what their thoughts are. And I think that as people can gain that trust, like we, you were saying, like be able to understand their inner dialogue, be able to trust their inner dialogue, which I will say comes with practice. Like if you are starting to le- listen to that inner dialogue, it's going to sound very blurry at the ve- beginning. It's going to sound very confusing. You're not going to be able to understand that voice, man, I'm still practicing on it. Um, but I think that as you can start practicing it and then start trusting it, you can start understanding better and learning better what that inner dialogue is saying to you. And I think you mentioned something really important too, when it comes to like emotional eating, I think that, you know, emotional, I think you brought up a good, good point that emotional eating isn't always a bad thing as long as you're intentional about it. I think there's a difference between like emotionally eating and being very mindless about it and, and it sabotaging you and emotionally eating and being very intentional and mindful about it. Um, there's a big difference there. Absolutely. Uh, I think that, oh, I was also going to mention something that I totally resonated with is I was also someone who also convinced myself of not liking certain foods um, for the sake of having an excuse of not eating it. Pizza, hamburgers, hot dogs, um, basically any Italian food. And what's interesting, and I'm still running into foods, bagels is one of them too. I'm still running into foods that I'm like, oh my goodness, I thought I didn't like this. Um, Hamburgers was the one that actually just came up last year. I remember getting this hamburger at this restaurant. I hadn't ordered a hamburger for years, but my friend got this hamburger and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a hamburger. It looked really good. Um, got it. It was absolutely delicious. And I was like, okay, I think I like hamburgers. And what I did, which I think this can be helpful for some people, is I started including hamburgers into my meals at home. Um, and that's something that's also been helpful for me to not want to overeat on something like on the weekends or at home is intentionally including some of those foods that I feel like I wanted to overeat on. One of them was also salt and vinegar chips. I tried salt and vinegar chips last summer thinking I hated them. And now I have them in a pantry right now because I try and expose myself to them. Right. And that's been something that's been really helpful for me um, as well to not feel so nervous when those foods come around on the weekends. I think sorry, I'm kind of piggybacking on this thought is like, I also think so many women struggle on the weekends, right? They struggle on the weekends with their food. And it's because their diet looks completely different on the weekdays than it does on the weekends. And those foods that people tend to grab for, and I tell a lot of my clients this too, like those foods that you tend to grab for on the weekends, include those foods on your weekdays. So you don't feel this need to like overeat on them. It's not like this uh, last supper mentality. Like you can have, you know, you can have them on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, not just on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. That's exactly right. I mean, I tell my clients too, like they're all days of the week. And I think, you know, I mean, forever it's Monday through Friday is a work week and the weekend is woohoo. It's the weekend. It's like, let's let loose. And I get that to a degree, but when you strip all that noise away. Monday is the same as Wednesday, as the same as Saturday. Is you know what I'm, like they're all just days of the week and so people put so much emphasis on on this strictness that comes with the weekdays and this I'm so rigid and I'm so healthy and I see it all the time. I'm so I eat so clean and perfect during the week and then I reward myself and I go crazy on the weekends. And it's like just what you said. 
If you are eating those things, I mean, I share a lot of the food that I'm eating and people are like shocked that I eat, you know, thick pieces of sourdough toast with butter every day. I eat, you know, whether it's a creamy or like some absurd dessert bowl that I concoct out of nothing. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> every single day. I mean, every yeah. day, every day I'm eating. And some days I crave way more carbs. Some days I crave only salads and fruits. I honor my cravings, but the days are irrelevant. And am I saying that I'm perfect and that I don't go crazy on some weekends? Of course not. But I, I've noticed this evolution, especially this year after having my son, I had a lot of stomach issues about four months postpartum with him where I was in excruciating stomach pain for almost, I'd say four months. And we couldn't figure out what it was. I hired a dietitian. I did tons of testing. And after that, and then one day it just went away. So we all think it was mm. hormonal. Interesting. Um, really, really excruciating. Like I I could barely move. I was crying every day. I went to the ER multiple times. Like I couldn't get into the ER. I was waiting there and I was like, I'm not doing this, but I, it it was just this weird thing. And after that, I just had, it's like a light switched and I just feel really in control of my choices. I, I just recently went on a vacation and I didn't feel the need to like overeat like I would or over drink. I just kind of ate what I want when I wanted to. I skipped the foods that weren't good. It was an odd vacation where I felt like every restaurant we went to was kind of crappy and the food was not good. And again, I love good food. Um, and I just like would skip and it just, it, it's just really nice to see again, my evolution over the years of being so much less food focused, so much less body focused, and just, I want to feel good and I want to feel energized and that's it. And it's just been really nice, especially as I'm, I mean, I'm a macro coach. I'm talking about food all day long. I'm looking at my clients' bodies all day long and we're, you know, dissecting what they can do better and all, and it's, it's all consuming, but I, I, it's not as much about me anymore where, you know, before a year for years, it was just like, how can I be the smallest? How can I be the thinnest? Like, how can I eat the the least? How can I work out the most? And now I'm just like, I don't have the energy for this. I just want to focus on my kids and I want to focus on my clients and I just want to feel good. And I just am the least food focused and body focused I've ever been. And it just feels really freaking awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. And honestly, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts from this, Lexis, because I think a lot of people are going to hear your experience right there and feel like, man, I really want that. I want to get to a place where I don't feel like I like I feel good. My my body feels good. I'm at a point where with my body that, you know, I'm comfortable in my clothes. I don't have to think about food all the time. Um and I, I'm, I like that you said it, it's been an evolution. So I'm sure that it's been taken practice over time. But yeah. for someone who's listening to this and feeling like, man, I just want to be that. I want to be in that space. Um, what would you say to them or how, how would you say you got there? Oh, I wish I had this, you know, amazing answer that everyone could like implement and then it would change. But again, this has been going on for well over 10 years. My, you know, journey with, restriction and and then, you know, binging here and there and trying all the things I can try. I mean, I, I tried everything to lose weight, to be thin. And I was so focused on my body, a control issue again. Um, and I think I actually just did a post on this on Instagram. I think I have a few tangible tips. First and foremost, um, I think Instagram and social media can be really damaging because we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. Our newsfeed is flooded with these unrealistic, most likely Photoshopped images of other women and you're comparing your body to them. And it's like, 
oh my gosh, like I'm supposed to look like that or that's society's, you know, definition of, of beautiful or fit. Um, so I, I think eliminate, I, I just delete a lot of people that don't like, you know, lift me up. I, I don't follow those types of accounts. Um, I don't interact with anyone that I feel like kind of has misaligned goals from mine or just ideas about like what's important. I don't know. I just think like kind of quieting, the, quieting yeah. the noise on social media was really big for me. I think letting go of the focus on the scale. So it's kind of a confusing thing because I practice weighing myself every single day, again, with the exposure therapy to kind of circle back, like we talked about before. Um, my obsession with the scale ended when I started to learn that fluctuations are normal and to be expected. And so what I, what I mean by that is I weigh myself every single day and the scale sometimes goes up three pounds and I try and, you know, take an inventory on why is that? Oh, well, maybe I'm about to ovulate or maybe I haven't had a bowel movement in three days or maybe I ate a really salty dessert at 11 p.m. or I had alcohol or maybe my sleep was bad. And so I go through my inventory and I check off what's like applicable and I'm like, oh my goodness, like those are probably the reasons why. And then, you know, the scale goes down and then it goes up again. And so watching this wave and this roller coaster of my weight for a long period of time, like the past couple years, I'm like, oh my goodness, like I'm not a robot. I'm not supposed to stay the same weight forever. And I think as a woman, hormonally, no one talks about, well, on my, and everyone's different. So I don't want to generalize, but for me, my cycle, like when I get my period scales up two to three pounds. And then again, two weeks later, I ovulate scales up two to three pounds every single month. And if you aren't tracking your cycle or you aren't aware of that, you know, the scale goes up and you're going to think, oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm failing or what's wrong with me. Nothing's wrong with you. Um, and so again, exposure therapy for me, weighing myself daily. And I think, you know, some people say, well, I don't want to weigh myself. And that's a choice that you can make. I'm not going to force anyone to weigh themselves, but again, let's get real. That's brushing the problem under the rug and avoiding the scale. If you're saying, well, the scale triggers me, the scale triggered me beyond any explanation I can. I mean, I'm talking, I was weighing myself 10, 12 times a day, taking off all my clothes, trying to make myself pee so I could weigh myself again. Like, you know, just absurd obsession, really, really, really unhealthy. And I am so confident in the fact that the scale does not affect me now. I weigh myself when I get back from a vacation. I weigh myself when I'm on vacation. I like to see the data, but it's nothing more than that data. And I like to use, again, with the analogies that like, it's like the weather, like look at the seven day forecast, the temperature goes up four degrees and then it comes down. We're not like obsessing over the fact that the temperature is not the same every single day for seven days in a row. That's not realistic. Like sometimes the temperature changes and just like that, our body is going to fluctuate. And so for me, um, you know, weighing myself daily and that exposure therapy, if you will, was really helpful for me. I think having children for me was a game changer. Um, I learned to respect and like admire my body so much more because of what it was capable of, you know, growing both babies, giving birth to them both vaginally, which was something I was really proud of. Um, and that whole experience, breastfeeding them both for 11 months, like just becoming a mom for me, especially with such a challenging childhood with, in you know, relationship with my own mom, I think it kind of came full circle and just, Mm -hmm. 
it showed me what was important. And so like whether I'm a size 26 or 28 in jeans is irrelevant if like I'm a good mom and I'm working hard and I'm trying, you know, I'm being kind to people on Instagram or whatever, like those things are what's important. And so I think just I've grown up and I've matured and I just don't really give a shit anymore. Yeah. I, I, again, I wish I had this like earth shattering answer. Um, I it's just, not- yeah. Ooh, no, go ahead, go ahead. I just feel really secure and I just feel like me. I feel like I am how I am. Um, take it or leave it. I'm not for everyone. I'm really loud. I'm really, you know, I am how I am in my personality. And I also have accepted I am how I am physically. And like, this was the body I was born with. This is the body, you know, God gave me. And I'm always striving to be stronger. I'm always striving to be as healthy as possible. But my desire to be thin is just gone. I just don't have that same burning desire inside that I had for so many years. And again, I I don't really know. I think it's just a culmination of things and maturing and recognizing what's important in life. And just knowing that like, I look better, you know, 10 pounds heavier anyways, and not to mention I'm stronger and I'm able to do the things I want to do. And I just, yeah, the evolution has just been, um, really amazing. And I just don't care as much. I don't know. I just don't have the energy to like want to die at 24 seven, you know? Totally. I'm wondering, I think that it goes with, um, it sounds like it's been an evolution of you also discovering the things that you value in life and realizing what things are important to you. And I also think, which I think that when you can understand your values, you can also balance your goals with that. Um, and it also sounds like for you, which I would personally say, this has been the case for me as well is simply just going through the experience of it. Like when you have gone through the experience of being very skinny and seeing what that takes to be there, um, you realize that that trade-off isn't worth it to you. Um, And when you, maybe on the other end, maybe someone who's overweight and they see the trade-off that comes with that, it's not worth it to them. And I think that when you can kind of, sometimes it takes going through those experiences to understand, you know, for me at this moment in my life, I'm not going to put myself in a box at this moment in my life, like being a a shredded bodybuilder is not a trade-off that's worth it to me. So it helps me find peace uh, knowing that I'm okay where I'm at um, and accepting that that trade-off isn't worth it. Absolutely. I could not agree with that more. And I've said that multiple times. I mean, I even attempted to do a cut during that time period. I mentioned I had all that stomach stuff going on about four months postpartum with my son, Quinn. I like had this cut group going. I was so gung-ho about it. I like start the cut. I'm two weeks in and I came on Instagram and I was like, you guys, like, I can't do this right now. I'm I'm not mentally in it. I don't feel well. My stomach hurts and I'm not willing to eat this little of food because right now like I you know, I just was newly postpartum and I just like I jumped the gun and it was so hard for me to to swallow my pride and kind of admit that and say like I'm not willing to like do what it takes to be successful in this cut right now and I'm a coach. And so hello, how do you think that makes me feel? You know, people are looking to me for guidance and for support and for for me to be this, you know, educated leader and I'm like I can't do this. I'm not strong enough to do. This. You know, and so but but I agree with you. I think again just being self-aware and knowing like what it takes. And I think that's one of the biggest issues is that people, you know, see a photo or say say they show you a photo of their dream body. I think people don't understand, number one, the work and time that it took to get that body. Totally. And typically the muscle that needs to be on the body that they're seeing. And they think, say it's just this like thin 
toned, quote unquote, um, woman. And they think, well, I look the way I look and she looks the way she looks. And all I need to do is lose weight. And there's such a misconception in that space about, no, 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 you need to build some muscle on your body. And yes, of course, lose fat too. But I think uh, it's just, there's just so much to know. And, and it's such a long timeline too. You know, people have this, this unrealistic expectation of how long something is going to take. Um, and it's really doing them a disservice. And I wish that the timeline could just be eliminated. Um, because I think people quit before they even start, they just quit right away. And it's so sad because they don't give themselves a chance to get to the good stuff and and see what's possible. And like, once you get there, you're like, Ooh, this is great. And then you're motivated to keep going, but most people just give up before they even start. And so, yeah, I don't know. I I went off on a tangent, but no, I totally agree with you. I think that a lot of people need to drop the timeline. And I think that when people start hitting a wall within their journey, like you said, they immediately quit. Uh, when in reality, they just need a pivot. They just need to turn the corner and they'll keep going. But so many people turn around and go back. Um, when a lot of times, like just pivot a tiny bit, a lot of those walls that you're running into in your journey are usually there to teach you a lesson. And the thing is, is if you don't approach that lesson or whatever it's trying to teach you, as soon as you start your journey again, you're going to run into that wall again until you learn from that lesson and just take a turn. Um, then you can continue to see progress. And the thing is, is like anyone that listening is listening to this, like, just listen to Lexis. She has been in this since 2016. We are in 2023 now. Like what is, what's the math there? That's uh, eight years. Um, you've been in this eight years. That's so much time to learn and go through evolution. And I think that people aren't willing to give themselves even eight years, even a year. Um, but if someone can just give themselves a year or two or three, then they can really start learning themselves, understanding themselves, understanding that internal dialogue, understand nutrition, what makes them feel good, um, understand their values and realize what's worth it and what's not worth it and start coming to peace with whatever their journey brings them. Absolutely. I wish we could literally play that on a speaker for everyone across the world. But (laughs) it's just so hard to to get people to hear that when their tunnel vision, you know, they're just so focused on the quickest result and the easiest result with the least amount of effort. And again, you know, I really pride myself in my work ethic that I, and again, that came from, you know, growing up in the business and working. And I've always been a really hard worker. And I know that everything good in life comes from a lot of fucking hard work, like a lot of hard work. And I think that's the, the disconnect. Um, and it's a sad thing to watch is that just everyone's like lazy and they don't want to put in the work and they think, well, it's easy for you. It's so hard for me. No, no, no. It is hard for every single person. Some people just show it, you know, make it look a little bit easier, but it, nothing good. It comes easy. Uh, nothing good. You have to work hard for all the things that you want. And so I think that's another really frustrating thing as a coach. And I try my best to be, you know, I, I, I'm really empathetic and I always try and put myself in, you know, other people's shoes, clients' shoes, et cetera. And, and I try not to be too harsh because I know we all go through a lot of really hard things, but it all comes back to, I still sense this overwhelming trend that people just don't want to put any work in and they expect overnight results that are going to last. And it's like, well, you can get overnight results and you can drop 50 pounds in a month, but you ain't going to sustain that. Like you're going to gain it all back, you know? And that's, 
that's, yeah, it, it's a hard place to be in because I have so much passion like in this space and with food. And I think we're all learning and we're all just trying to do our best, but it's really hard to, to kind of like get it into people's heads, kind of what's required. And I'm a very like, tell it how it is very blunt. That's just who I am to my core. And so I don't, again, I don't mesh with everyone. And sometimes I think I might hurt people's feelings because I'm like, listen, you are, your expectations are completely unrealistic. Um, for what you're what you're wanting, and so once we can get your expectations realistic and break down tangible steps to get you to your goal, then we're talking. Yeah. Um, but I just find that lately it, it's a lot of unrealistic expectations, unrealistic timeline with 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 the, with the you know idea that they can put in zero work, and, and it's hard for me. Yeah. I'm curious before we head into the final fun questions, I I totally agree to the point that it does take hard work. And I think that something that has been an issue the last year or so, in my opinion, is now this has such a hard balance to find is the word discipline. You know, I think that the word discipline was on such a pedestal and then people took it off its pedestal because they're like, no, you don't need discipline, like discipline, you know, the whole thing, discipline over motivation. Now, I think that discipline is still an important attribute that that needs to be had if you want to accomplish your goals because I think discipline and hard work kind of go hand in hand maybe mm-hmm. um and I I'm I'm curious I think that for anyone who does have goals there does come a level of hard work and discipline to accomplish those goals Absolutely. And, and, that, and that's a fact you know that's a fact that there are certain sacrifices that you are going to have to make um there are certain things that you are going to have to turn down but the difference is, is the trade-off from that is going to be, is going to be so worth it. But the, the issue is it's not an, it's not a quick ROI. People aren't seeing that return on investment tomorrow. They're, they're seeing that ROI of, you know, eating that piece of cake right then. They're not seeing the, how good they're going to feel in six months from today, from, you know, that small decision of, of doing something. Absolutely. I definitely am a huge, you know, discipline fan. I think that's what it really comes down to is it I love when you you said that sometimes you're going to have to make sacrifices and what I always remind my clients is this. You might have to say no today, but it doesn't mean you have to say no forever. Meaning you might have to say no to the pizza today if it doesn't align with your goals or maybe you already hit your macros, but it doesn't mean that you can't eat pizza ever again. It just means that like this is a temporary decision, sacrifice, whatever you want to call it, that is going to help you get to ultimately where you say you want to be. You say you want all these things, but when it when it comes down to it, are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to be disciplined? Are you willing to push yourself. People are so scared to push themselves outside of their comfort zone, both physically and more importantly, mentally and emotionally. They're terrified. Um, And I love to push myself outside of my comfort zone and again, break the rules and all of that. I'm a little bit like, you know, I'm not the average person I feel like in that sense, but I, it does take discipline and anyone who thinks that they can achieve any goal without discipline is, is sadly mistaken. Um, and and I think I'll, I'll end on, um, I think that motivation is a byproduct of, of discipline. I think the more you are disciplined, the more you keep the promises that you have made to yourself, you will create motivation because you see what happens 
day in and day out and day. And then you start to see, I feel better, or I look better, or people are complimenting me, or I have more energy in the afternoon. I don't need that afternoon coffee. And then you start to see that small changes are happening and you get addicted to that feeling of, oh my goodness, I am in control of my, of my choices, of what I eat, of how I feel, of how I speak to myself, et cetera. And in turn, that discipline that you've been practicing creates more discipline and then you become more motivated. And it's this amazing cycle that you can create these habits that can be lifelong and and forever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people say, well, how do you wake up and work out every day? I just do it. I don't know. I just do it because I have practiced for years and years and years. And now it is part of my day, just like brushing my teeth, you know? And and I know that people are going to be like, well, that's not helpful. It's just the truth. And there are weeks when I'm sick, don't work out, or I go to Florida, didn't work out. It, It doesn't matter. I'm always going to come back to the found, you know, to the foundation of my exercise routine because I love it and I love the way it makes me feel mentally, mentally, physically, and emotionally. So, because you have now seen the trade off and the ROI from making those, from practicing those small decisions, just kind of bouncing off real quick of the motivation um, over discipline saying is if anyone listens to this one actually hasn't been posted yet, but it will be by the time this is posted. Um, Allie Henry, if you follow her on Instagram, uh, she's a registered dietitian. She actually talked about the idea between the the, uh, the whole phrase like motivation over discipline. And she actually mentioned basically exactly what you said, how, you know, the phrase motivation over discipline isn't helpful in and of itself. Because if you just tell someone you need it, you, you don't need to be motivated. You just need to be disciplined. Like that's not very helpful, but having an understanding around what that means and how to apply it of like, no, you know, because discipline is a form of motivation. And as you can start taking action inherently, that's what's motivating you. And sometimes Absolutely. it is taking those small steps. And I love that you mentioned as you practice, as you put in those reps, as you as you take those small actions, it does become easier because it becomes more part of your life. It just, it's how you show up. But at the beginning, it might feel a little bit more hard. It might, you might need to be a little more disciplined in the beginning. It might take a little more extra hard work. Um, but again, the more you put in the reps, the easier it will become. Absolutely. Um, okay. I know you are tight on time, so I'm going to head Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. If it goes over, we're good. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, yeah. final fun questions. Um, these are these are my favorite. I hope people enjoy them. Actually, I'm super curious if anyone listening to this enjoys them. Will you just let me know? That will make me feel good. <laughs> I just want to make sure people like them, but I love them. Anyways, first question, Alexis. What is your all-time favorite food and favorite dessert? This is like the hardest question anyone asks me ever. Do you yeah. want like my a full day of eating or just like my favorite one individual food? Whatever you feel more excited about answering, answer that. Okay. Okay. So here's my death row meal. I've I, I've answered this multiple times and it will never change. So um, I need fresh, like home-baked sourdough bread with mm. really good salted butter, like out of the oven, hot Yeah. with like salted butter. So that's to start. And then I'm a Caesar salad connoisseur. I literally order it everywhere I go and then rate it based on its dressing. I don't know where this came from, but (laughs) so Caesar salad always and steak nachos with like every dipping sauce imaginable, like sour cream cream and all the things, salsas and all that. Um, That's my appetizer. And then some sort of like shrimp Alfredo pasta Mm. um, or a burger. So I can't decide. 
And then I would probably end with like a triple layer cake that's like Oreo, peanut butter, caramel, everything decadent and nothing healthy at all, all layered together with like coffee, ice cream and whipped cream on the top. Oh my goodness. This was amazing. I loved that. <laughs> I loved how specific you were. Everything sounded so amazing. I know. Okay. I, I know. I'm salivating just thinking about it, honestly. Yeah. I love it. Okay. I'm, this, I'm actually going to add on to this question just because I know that you are a fanatic of the macro-friendly food. If anyone doesn't have that app, you need to download it. If you could pick, I'm going to give you three because I know picking one is hard. If you could pick three top macro-friendly food recipes that come to your head, which would you choose? Oh my gosh. I don't even know. Okay. Uh, the shredded beef enchiladas, uh, the slow cooker shredded beef enchiladas. Those are in- insane. Um, the taco pie and mm. the, um, it's like, um, cilantro cream shrimp tacos. I don't know if I'm saying it in the right order, but something with cream shrimp tacos. Yeah. They're amazing. Okay. I can't even decide. Honestly, I go back through my own highlight and like look for ideas of what to make again. Cause I'm like, Oh, I remember that was a favorite. And then I like forgot about it. Oh, and all yeah. her meatball recipes. I think it's like a sticky Mongolian beef meatball. Those Ooh. are also amazing. I can't say enough good things about her recipes. So yeah, they're amazing. If any, again, if anyone ha- doesn't have it, you need to download it. They're amazing. Um, second question. What is your biggest pet peeve? <sighs> my husband that my husband does or that everyone does cuz i can think of a lot you can do, you can do both um my ugh, the thing that bothers me the most is when he'll like put his dirty dishes in the sink instead of loading them into the dishwasher yeah you know <laughs> i'm just like oh, the dishwasher is empty like it needs you need to put that in there i'm not going to do it for you um and then my other biggest pet peeve that other people do is uh, what is it? I, I have so many. Um, I would say like probably chew with their mouth open and like smack mm. their mouth. Yeah. That's a bad one. I feel that. I agree. I'm with you on yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, third question. If you could go back and tell your younger self one thing, what would it be? Oh, goodness. Um, just be yourself. Just try try to figure out like at your core, who you are and just be authentically you don't try. And I know we all go through, you know, you kind of like mold into different people or different friend groups as you're younger and you're trying to figure out kind of who you are. Um, I think just, just be you and, uh, you know, unapologetically, authentically, whoever you are, whoever you want to be. And people will, you know, the people that are meant to love you will love you and the people that aren't won't. And that's okay. Cause you're not going to be for everyone. I think I, I really like looking back. I think I tried to change a lot of the parts of me that I thought, you know, weren't good or were too much, or I was embarrassing other people. And I'm now I'm thinking like, Oh my God, what a waste of my energy, like trying to be what everyone else wants me to be. Um, yeah. And so I think that's what I would probably say for myself is just be you from the earliest age possible. And just, that's it. Just focus on like living a happy life because what people think about you just is so irrelevant and just a waste of energy. Love that. Love, love, love that. I think you are, I think you are very authentic and I think that's why a lot of people appreciate you. Thank you. Um, Last question is if you could have listeners wake up and do one healthy thing for themselves, what would it be? (gasps) Walk more 100% move your body, like move your body more just in general, 
you know, park farther at Target, take the stairs, not the elevator. You know, when you're at the park with your kids, I see this all the time and it kills me. And I'm not saying that I don't occasionally pull out my phone, but I'm at the park with my children and I will see moms there for an hour and they are sitting on the park bench scrolling their phone for the entire hour. They're not playing with their kids. They're not running around. Like I'm on the slide, like going down with my kids, you know, like get active, move, go get a walking pad. If you have a desk job, get a walking pad. If you live in an apartment, get a walking pad that you can fold under your bed, walk up and down your driveway. I don't care what you need to do, but like the sedentary, you know, 2000, 3000 steps a day, it is doing you a massive disservice, no matter what your goals are. Even if you don't have a weight loss goal at all, being sedentary is unhealthy for numerous other reasons. And especially for your mental health. Um, I think I have a lot, I see a lot of times clients say I'm suffering from, you know, anxiety or depression or whatever the circumstance. And, you know, they're sit- sitting in their house all day, not getting outside in the air, not seeing the sun, not moving. And they wonder, you know, why those feelings are exacerbated. It's like, get your butt moving, like go outside and feel the air and just move more. That's, it's so important. It's so important and it's so underrated. And walking is the number one form of exercise, in my opinion. It is forever and will always be. Strength training is right there with it. But Walking is so underrated and so important for health overall, mind, body, and soul. Yeah, 1000% agree with you. Yeah. Um, well, Alexis, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This has been an amazing conversation. And I, and I really think that a lot of listeners will take value in, in with this. Um, for anyone that wants to connect with you, give them the rundown on where they can find you. You can uh, shout out anything that you are offering right now. Feel free to spill whatever you want to spill. Oh, thank you. And I just want to say like, it's been so wonderful to, you know, have the opportunity to come on and chat. Um, I love kind of this long form, uh, you know, podcast situation, because again, I'm a talker, I'm an oversharer. And I feel like it's just so nice to kind of be able to get my feelings out and not feel rushed. So I really appreciate um, you having me on and I loved our chat. Um, yeah. I, I, and I just love talking. So it's so fun it's, for me. It's also nicer because you on your Instagram stories, I, I'm sure you ran into this when you talk for a long time and then you have to turn on the captions. So you have to wait extra long for the captions to then load. And you're like, this is taking forever. And then you lose your train of thought and you're like, yeah. wait, well, what was I saying? <laughs> yes. It's the worst. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle's Lexis H Gordon. Um, and yeah, I am offering a lot of really fun things. I am opening up one-on-one coaching, um, in August for a September start date. I have a couple different, um, tiers of one-on-one coaching for every different type of client. Um, I have a lower price point and a higher price point. I'm also doing a group in, I believe the beginning of October. Um, I also offer one-time macro counts and all of that information is on my website. It's just LexisGordonCoaching.com. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks so much, Lexis. Thank you so much, Sarah.